Hey, everybody, it's Sean Horrible. This is the Never Heard of It podcast. This is the show where we talk all about the movies that have fallen through our cracks, and we've got a crack filler today for you. I'm joined, of course, as always, by Craig Moorhead, my co-host and uh, co-conscriptor, whatever that means. Craig, Mm -hmm. would you say hello and tell us how you're doing, bud? Hello. I am doing just fine. Good. Looking forward to filling some cracks tonight. How about you, Sean? Exactly the same. Mm-hmm. In fact, I feel like you plagiarized me a little bit. Oh. No, I'm good, man. I'm excited. We are dropping this in the month of April. I think we got two good, potentially good movies. At least I think uh, the trivia behind them is good. And uh, it'll be a fun month. We got a guest coming for movie two, which uh, we'll get to soon enough. But today we're going to talk about a little movie from 1959. Before we do that... Would you like to tell the people where they can find us online, Craig? I would. You can find us online. You can find us. We're on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, email, I guess. Probably. Somebody has, somebody has email here at the place. You can go to neverheardpodcast.com and you can kind of find everything there, everything you could possibly need. You can listen to every single episode if you want to do that. Or you can go to iTunes, Stitcher, even Spotify. You can find our podcast there. And if there's anywhere to leave a review, please do, because then it helps other people just like you who are in the place you were before you discovered us. You know, that sad, Mm -hmm. lonely place uh, helps them find us and and sort of step into the light. And that's what we want to do. Quick side question for you, Craig. Mm -hmm. I was just thinking I have a couple days coming up where I'm going to be living solo here while my wife and daughter are out of town. Hmm. And I was just thinking when you were talking about listening to every episode, like I wonder if I just put it on at episode one just loudly in my house, how, like how long would it take for me to go crazy? That's a, that's a great idea. I think, uh, I think probably by episode seven. <laughs> seven, okay. If we're taking bets. That's not even like half a day, you know? I mean, that's, uh, no. that's pretty quick. Yeah, Whew. pretty much seven hours. Well, those first seven episodes, I mean, it was, yeah, it was a little rough. Yep. Who am I kidding? No, they were they came out great right out of the gate. Yes, great and rough. Mm, that describes us to a T. Mm-hmm. Speaking of T, we're doing a T up today. We're going to T up the movie Compulsion from 1959. It is available on Amazon. I believe there's an HD copy even on YouTube. Quick synopsis. How about it, Craig? You want one? I'll take it. Ladies and gentlemen. We stop this film deliberately to tell you that two of the young people you are watching have just committed what has become the crime of the century. Two wealthy law school students go on trial for murder in this version of the Leopold Loeb case. I'm going to talk about those two later, but first, I think you're going to tell us who made this movie and who the hell is in it. You're damn right I am, Sean. Mm. Let's jump right in here. You've got a compulsion to just talk about this stuff, don't you? I do. I am compelled to tell everyone <laughs> about this fine movie. Let's do it. Well, Compulsion was directed by Richard Fleischer, who also directed the movies Soylent Green and Red Sonia, among many others. He's big into colors, is what you're saying. He's super big into colors. He did uh, Purple People Eater, I think. <laughs> he also directed Blue Velvet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, White Christmas. Anyway, <laughs> I could go on. <laughs> We should. That'd be fun. <laughs> Maybe. Maybe in the uh, in the outtakes of this that we will publish later. Uh, written by Richard Murphy. He wrote a bunch of the Mannix TV series. Ah. 
among uh, other uh, movies and shows of that era. And this movie was based on a novel by Mr. Meyer Levin, who I'm not familiar with. Me either. But he wrote some books. That I can say. (laughs) Yep. Uh, The movie was produced by Richard D. Zanuck, who produced Jaws and... Mm. Didn't need to do anything else after that. No kidding. But of course, he did a lot of, uh, just a lot of stuff. A ton of stuff. Things that you definitely have heard of over and over again throughout your entire life. But start with Jaws. Music by Lionel Newman. Now, he did a bunch of movies and TV. For instance, he composed music for The Many Loves of Dobie Gillis. It's a good title. Yeah, it's a great title, isn't it? Yeah. For some reason, I've I've always uh, I've I've known of that title. I don't think I've ever seen an episode of that show. Neither that have I. title for some reason goes back in my mind a long, long way. Did you have the soundtrack on bootleg cassette tape? I did not. No, okay. I was not a collector at that time, and Michael Mann had nothing to do with it. Michael Mannix. Yeah. Michael Manny loves of Dobie Gillis. <laughs> okay, we got a lot of good material tonight. We do. Yeah, it's April. The cinematographer. Uh, Sean was William C. Melor or Malor. Could be either one. Malor or less, you know. He shot uh, A Place in the Sun, hmm. Giant, Peyton Place. I've seen none of those. You've never seen and Giant? Yet, I've never seen Giant. Get I know. I know. Here. They're all, uh, each one of those, uh, 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 at least as titles, are very familiar. And no, never seen a one. Huh. And the stuff that he shot was edited by William Reynolds. So William Mellor gave all his footage to William Reynolds. Okay. Coincidence? I'm sure it wasn't. <laughs> no. Conspiracy, I don't think I think, I think it think. was planned well in advance. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so William Reynolds edited The Sting, uh Sound of Music, The Godfather along with uh uh you know him, you love him, Pete Peter Zinner. Old Pete Zinner. For some reason, I didn't think either of those gentlemen had anything to do with editing The Godfather, but they're the ones who edited The Godfather. So, yeah. Yeah. If you have a problem with it, talk to them. Okay. I'll call them. But, Sean, you know, a movie isn't much without some actors to stand in front of the camera, is it? Uh, Not unless it's animated, yeah. Yeah. Well, okay. Good point. Good point. (laughs) Uh, I'll keep that in mind next time we make a clever joke like that. Okay. But this movie is no exception is what I would have said if you hadn't brought up animation. Sorry about that. It's okay. It's starring Orson Welles, who I think actually did a voice for someone in the Transformers the movie, if mm-hmm. I'm not mistaken. Yep. So he's done some animation. He also did a movie called Citizen Kane, I think. Huh. Uh, and some other stuff. Diane Varsi, who had done plenty of work. I didn't recognize, I don't think, any of the titles, but I like the title Bloody Mama. Ooh, and I might great title, try yeah. to check out. Yeah, Bloody Mama sounds like a like a good time. Uh, Dean Stockwell, Love you know him. him from Quantum Love Leap. Him. Yes. Yeah, and Dune and Blue Velvet. Let me ask you this. Yeah. And this was like one of the main reasons I picked this movie. It just like there's some something in my head that doesn't allow Orson Welles and Dean Stockwell to be in the same movie together. Like I don't. Interesting. You know. Yeah. I don't know. You know what? Well, I, I was going to say, it, not quite that, because that didn't bother me. But but for some reason, I've always gotten Dean Stockwell and Harry Dean Stanton mixed up. That Yeah, in a that weird happens. Way. 
Yeah. I didn't realize Stockwell had been acting since he was a child. I saw something recently that on uh, TCM, and they were just showing a clip where I can't remember what the movie was. But yeah, he was like uh, just a little boy, a little boy doing it. Did his Way face back. look though? Did his face like look exactly the same? To- he was, like, I mean, carrying you a cigar? could tell without a doubt that it was Dean Stockwell. Yeah, that's that's hilarious. He does mm-hmm. have a very dis- uh, dis- uh, distinguished, no, distinct look. Yeah. So does Harry Dean Stanton, and they both yeah. are deans. So they definitely are. Anyway, sorry. Uh, no, no, please. Anytime you want to uh, hijack my part of the podcast, <laughs> just feel free to stretch out. It's a compulsion. Sorry. <sighs> it is. You are. <laughs> it is com- a compulsion. Bradford Dillman, I'm sure, is a lovely gentleman. I don't know why I wrote his name down because I don't know exactly who he is. <laughs> but he was on Falcon Crest, and he's he's one of the top four build up here. E.G. Marshall. Uh, you know, Superman 2. He was the president. Mm. Also on Falcon Crest. Coincidence? Conspiracy. That one might have been more of a coincidence. In uh, 12 Angry Men. As well, the Sydney Twelve Angry Men. Oh yeah, yeah. No, I didn't mean to sell him short. E.G. Nah, Marshall. Oh my gosh, yeah. Has done a lot of uh, great work. You you see his face and you're like, oh, that's that's that guy. You probably don't think his name is E.G. Marshall unless you really follow that kind of stuff. And then we have uh, kind of down a little further down the list, Gavin McLeod. Does that name ring a bell? Well, I'm I see his thumbnail, and yes. I'm, it's the Love Boat, right? That's right. It's Captain Steubing, Sean. Okay. Oh, my goodness. I watched a lot of Love Boat back in the day, which is kind of weird. It is a little weird, yeah. Bring it right down to it. I wouldn't watch an episode of it today, but when I was a child, I saw the Love Boat. And now is it blowing your mind that he is in a movie with Orson Welles? <laughs> Maybe a little bit, yes. Yeah. Like, just sort of this thought that, man, his his life could have been a lot different. Maybe. If he'd stuck with Orson Welles instead of, uh, what's his name, Aaron Spelling. But you know what? I think everyone made out like bandits. I would say less lucrative, probably. If he exactly. Bandit, but yeah. Exactly. But that's everything I have on compulsion right now. I am most interested in hearing what you have to say about the other side of... Of the animation? It's an animated movie, isn't it? <laughs> I wish. It would be really interesting. But no, it, it is not. Okay. And even, even more than that, Craig, yes, it is based on a very real crime... Mm. that involved two gentlemen, Nathan Leopold Jr. and Richard Loeb. I really am drawing a blank on how I came across this movie, even though mm-hmm. it was like a week ago. <laughs> it's embarrassing to say that. I mean, I'm just, I have no clue where I came across it, but I was like, oh, the actors. And then, ooh, this byline here, this this logline about what this movie is, it sounds really compelling. So, mm-hmm. Nathan Leopold Jr. and Richard Loeb, let me tell you a little about them. They were two wealthy students at the University of Chicago who, in May of 1924, Craig, kidnapped and murdered 14-year-old Bobby Franks in Chicago. They committed the murder, characterized at the time as the, quote, crime of the century, a phrase we have heard too many times in our young lives. Mm Mm-hmm. As a demonstration of their perceived intellectual superiority, which they thought rendered them capable of carrying out a perfect crime and absolved them of responsibility for their actions. That's pretty fascinating to me and bleak as hell. Indeed. Continuing on here, this is all from Wikipedia, by the way. After the two men were arrested, Loeb's family retained Clarence Darrow, which is a name you probably recognize, right? Um, At least from uh, middle school or high school. 
Uh, he was the famous lawyer from the Scopes Monkey Trial about the oh, teacher right. that taught evolution. Inherit the Wind is the film and I believe novel or play that came out of that. Um, but he was hired as counsel for their defense. Uh, they did plead guilty. And so this, the, what went to trial was basically um, a case about the sentencing. And this trial in particular was famous because Darrow gave a 12-hour summation at the sentencing hearing. And it's noted for its influential criticism of capital punishment as retributive rather than transformative justice. Hmm. Both men were sentenced to life imprisonment, so it did keep them out of the death penalty, this 12-hour summation. But they also got an additional 99 years on top of life. Loeb did not fare so well in prison. He was murdered by a fellow prisoner in 1936. But Nathan Leopold served until 1958. He was released on parole despite having a life plus 99 years. He moved to Puerto Rico, got married, wrote a book about bird watching, and died of a heart attack at age 66. Oof. Yeah. So in the early 50s, uh, author Meyer Levin, who you mentioned, he had been a classmate of theirs from the University of Chicago, or at least an alum. And he requested uh, Leopold's cooperation in writing a novel based on the murders. Leopold responded that he wanted nothing to do with that and did not want his story fictionalized, but he wanted to write his own memoir and thought maybe Levin would like to, to help with that. Levin said no thank you, went ahead with his book, and despite Leopold's objections, the novel was called Compulsion. It was published in 1956. They did not use the names of the actual people in the novel, but Leopold did read it and later wrote that the book made him, quote, physically sick. More than once I had to lay the thing down and wait for the nausea to subside. I felt as I suppose a man would feel if he were exposed stark naked under a strong spotlight before a large audience. Poor, poor dude. (laughs) Sorry, buddy. Uh, But he did get around to putting out that memoir. It came out in 1958. It was called Life Plus 99 Years. So if you want to read more, go check that out. Notable to our particular subject here is the fact that that story has inspired a number of things, including, I think, uh, Michael Haneke's Funny Games a little bit, but also infamously Alfred Hitchcock's Rope. Mm-hmm. The play that that movie is based upon was inspired by the murders and um, then came out in the movie in 1948. But also there's a 1992 indie film produced by Christine Vachon called Swoon and Murder by Numbers. Does that title ring a bell, Craig? Murder by Numbers does, yeah. Yeah, 2002, Sandra Bullock, uh, an early Ryan Gosling. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. So that was said to be based a little bit on this particular crime. I think Gosling and Michael Pitt play murderers in that one anyway so that's the inspiration behind this thing uh as you mentioned this was produced by richard zanuck uh, uh, it was his first film film uh which is kind of crazy as i, oh, mean, I didn't realize starting off with a pretty big name there in in some of that cast um he followed that yeah. up with sanctuary which was uh based on a faulkner novel that i'm not familiar with at all anyway so wells you know he's in an interesting period here touch of evil had come out and was not treated well in America mm-hmm. by the box office. It said that he was bitter that he was not chosen to direct this movie. And so you might imagine he was an absolute joy on set. 
Oh, yeah. Not the case. Not the case. It said that uh, he was uh, made things very tense and threw frequent tantrums during a rehearsal of the courtroom scene starring Wells, Diane Varsi. Wells humiliated a young publicity man who had made the mistake not to cancel an appointment between Wells and his uh, head of Hooper, who I believe was a, a gossip columnist or not. Anyway, Wells ignored him and then uh, resumed the rehearsal uh, in front of Diane Varsi, who was said to be very, very confused by the whole incident. <laughs> He was also having a little difficulty with the IRS, and as a result, his entire salary for the movie was garnished hours, it said, hours after principal photography was completed. It upset him so much that during a, a looping session, he stormed off and left the country. And so uh, the aforementioned William Reynolds had to fix some stuff in the courtroom speech by taking words uh, and dialogue from other places in the movie and splicing them together one by one, which I'm sure was a lot of fun. (laughs) Uh, Cutting on film, right? Oh, my God. Yeah. Bradford Dillman said that uh, he did not get along with Dean Stockwell, oddly enough. I think there had been a theatrical version of Compulsion that Stockwell had been in and played the role that Dillman had. And he wanted his co-star on Broadway, who was Roddy McDowell, Planet of the Apes, uh, to be in the movie, and it didn't happen. That said, Stockwell and Dillman did work again together in a movie called One Away in 1976. So that's some of the the behind-the-scenes drama. I feel like any movie of this era, especially starring somebody like Orson Welles, there's just no way that the production was just a nice, smooth, joyful time, right? Yeah. Impossible. Uh, the movie was released April 1st, 1959 in New York City. It played uh, the Cannes Film Festival in May that year. It was also known as Craig in uh, Germany. It was known as Craig? No, it was not known uh, as Craig, although good okay. good title for this particular movie. No. I think so. In Germany, it was called Der Zwang zum Bosen, <laughs> which is like the it. compulsion to evil. And in Spain, it was called Impulso Criminal. Hmm. Taglines, you want some? Give them all to me. You got them. Sometimes murder is just a way to pass the time. Oh. I feel like that needs a yo at the end of it, you know? Yo. Yeah. And then the best one, which is on the poster on IMDb. You know why we did it? Because we damn well felt like doing it. Mm. Ooh. Murder. Just talking about murder. Uh, Speaking of murder, it slayed the box office for (laughs) a tune of... (laughs) No, I didn't say it. It made one point eight million, according to Wikipedia. <laughs> That's not off of a budget yeah. of one point three four. Not necessarily slaying anything. No. Uh, but nineteen fifty nine, interesting year in film. Interesting. You got Sleeping Beauty, came out for Disney. It was the most expensive movie they had made at the time. I did not realize this. It was uh, a major, major loss for them that year, and oh. uh, it took quite a bit of time for that movie to be seen in a more favorable light. I know I've seen it, and in the past three, four years, I don't remember much about it, i got to say. Hmm. Me neither. Yeah. Maybe I fell asleep. Anyway, 400 Blows opened the very same Cannes Film Festival that year, bringing a lot of attention to the burgeoning French New Wave. And also, Ben-Hur came out this year with Charlton Heston. Uh, It was the most expensive movie ever made. Would you like to guess how much that budget was, Craig? Adjusted for inflation or not? Not adjusted for inflation. Okay. At the In time. that case, th- that movie cost $9.5 million. 
15 million actually oh wow yeah i guess that's pretty big uh it's 15 times the budget of compulsion so there you go and what that and we're yeah we're talking about before 1960 right yeah so yeah yeah and uh it paid off it was number one in the box office that year made 36 million so more than doubled Top 10 after that was Operation Petticoat, Some Like It Hot, The Shaggy Dog, Pillow Talk, Imitation of Life, Suddenly Last Summer, The Nun Story, North by Northwest, and Anatomy of a Murder. Ben-Hur, 11 Academy Awards, Cleaned Hmm. House. Best Director, William Wyler and Charlton Heston for that movie. Uh, Mm -hmm. Simone Signorette, I believe. Okay. Not a name I recognize. Uh, she won Best no. Actress for the movie Room at the Top. And uh, Black Orpheus won the Palme d'Or that year. Also that year, you had the one, the only, Darby O'Gill and the Little People. I remember that one. I do too. Jason Barker, thank you. Uh, the Diary of Anne Frank, The Fugitive Kind, Gidget, Hiroshima Monomore, The House on the Haunted Hill, Pickpocket, Plan 9 from Outer Space, Rio Bravo. Uh, Shadows by Cassavetes, and Some Like It Hot. Big year for Billy Wilder, obviously. What a year. What a year. Lots of good classics there. It seems like the uh, critical response to Compulsion was generally positive. A.H. Wyler for the New York Times wrote, Although a viewer may not be constantly involved emotionally in the events in Compulsion, the film has the rare attribute of gripping one's attention throughout its dark proceedings. Its artistry lies in the outstanding performances by the leads, the crisp and natural dialogue, and the highly efficient direction of Richard Fleischer. They are never blatant, but nearly always fascinatingly professional in their deft handling of the causes and effects of an outrageous act of violence in a civilized society. Boom. I was thinking the exact same thing. I know you were. I know you were. Uh, The three male leads, Dillman Stockwell and Wells shared the Best Actor Award at the Cannes Film Festival that year. They got nominated for a BAFTA for Best Picture, and uh, Richard Fleischer got nominated for Best Director at the Directors Guild of America Awards. Richard Murphy picked up a nomination for Best Screenplay at the Writers Guild of America Awards that year. A little miscellaneous tidbit for us to look at, Craig. In uh, Orson Welles' big speech there, as he plays the attorney and makes his closing arguments in this film, this doesn't spoil anything, Mm-hmm. But he apparently mentions that he's practiced law for 45 to 46 years. However, at the time of this movie, he himself was only 43 years old. So uh, oh. you don't see people aged up that much, typically. But uh, they yeah. did here. On this day, Craig, April, what did I say? April 1st, 1959. Uh, here's something I'd never heard about before in my life. A U.S. Air Force cargo plane crashed at Ording, Washington, killing all four of the crew on board. Witnesses reported that the C-118 plane had collided with another object in midair, and the incident has become part of UFO lore. The pilot, Robert R. Dimmick, radioed, We have hit something, or something has hit us, moments before the crash. Q. X-Files music, we're out. Thank you. That's it. That's Compulsion. I'm excited to check this out. I hope it is as dark as the material suggests it might be. Mm -hmm. I'm very interested to see exactly what role they throw this Diane Varsi 
Yeah. Where does a woman fit into this story exactly? I don't know. Um, I'm guessing it's an interesting love interest. Very excited to check this out. Had never, ever, ever heard of this thing prior to, uh, yeah, a week or two ago. Me neither. I'm going in clean. Going in clean, coming out mean. I hope everyone listening will join us and check it out. And we'll be back next time to do the deep dive. Craigie, any last words? Uh, um, hmm. Uh, um, how about, uh, hold on, hold on, hold on. Hmm. Nope. No quotes. I don't know. I don't know, Sean. Uh, I think, I think it's, it's, uh, I think my thoughts are best, uh, expressed, uh, by paraphrasing, uh, scientist, uh, uh, Abraham Lincoln, who said, um, it's best not to look uh and leap before you before may i don't know i don't know it's not the best paraphrase yeah but i think you understand what i mean oh well yeah if it's lincoln there's obviously yeah some very good wisdom behind it dig into yeah i love it all right y'all we'll talk next time have a good one